Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Freedom of Species would like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, who are the traditional owners of the land on which we broadcast today. We pay our respect to the elders of all of the lands on which we meet across Australia. We're a show that brings animal advocacy to the airwaves of 3CR Community Radio. Before us, you heard the show Out of the Pan by Sally. Make sure you check that out uh, every Sunday from 12 till 1 for all things pansexual. Always worth listening to. And today on the show, I'm very happy to be bringing you an interview uh, that we're replaying with permission called Vegans in Solidarity with Palestine. This is an interview by Layla Degon, um, who's a doctor and now works as a plant-based nutritionist who interviewed Laura Schleifer. Um, and yeah, there's going to be an intro given for Laura in the interview, so I'll save that for then. I did want to mention that in th- this interview was recorded uh, or released at least on October 30th, 2023. And so some of the information will be, um, yeah, slightly dated in that sense. And unfortunately, very sadly, for example, the death toll is, is very much less than it is now for the um, Palestinian people. Um, and this interview does deal with the pal- the violence Palestinian people are facing now, but also historically as well. And, yeah, I, th- I think it's really important to get that context um, in terms of what's going on now, but also that this isn't a recent development, that this didn't happen or uh, it didn't start on October uh, 7th with the attacks from Hamas. This has been a, a long-term thing in terms of the oppression of the Palestinian people. Um, and really, really to understand that history and, and this this um, interview is a really great way to do that. Um, really informative overview of the context of um, the issue. Also looking into this idea of the myth that this is a complex issue and that like anything, you could always know more about it. But um, yeah, definitely don't feel that if you don't know everything about it, that you can't still take a side on this issue and... Um, yeah, t- take action against what's going on, against the violence and oppression that the Palestinian people are facing uh, again today and and historically. Um, and also talks about how to support Palestine and, of course, particularly relevant to our show on Animal Advocacy is why vegans in particular um, should show solidarity with Palestine. I think that's a really important point. And going back to... Um, yeah, a really old example for myself, a podcast that definitely inspired me back when I first started podcasting. It's not going anymore, but is the Angry Hippies podcast, and he actually became vegan. Um, but that awareness of animal exploitation didn't therefore stop him from being concerned about other forms of oppression, but actually opened his eyes to other forms of oppression going on, such as sexism and racism and, and many others as well. So, yeah, definitely that is the spirit that... Um, yeah, we always try and do this show of making those connections between this different issue. And so this interview will go for most of the show today. So thank you for taking the time to talk to me today. You are an American Jew, the co-founder of Plant the Land, which is a vegan food justice community project in Gaza. And I know that you have been to the Middle East, you have been actually to Palestinian refugee camps. You know, because of your background, you have actually a deep understanding of the struggles of the Palestinian people, and that's why I asked you to join me for this interview. Over the last two weeks, we have been witnessing an unprecedented wave of bombings in Gaza, which have killed more than 4,000 Palestinians. Earlier today, I actually read that Israel has killed more children in these two weeks than in the last three years. Well, that's a lot. And I think that is why we call it, you know, genocide of the Palestinian people. And obviously, you and me, we are both vegans. 
Vegans usually speak out against animal cruelty and they criticize non-vegans for not being on the right side of history. So, considering all of that, I think it is really sad to see that many vegan and plant-based organizations, groups, and influencers they have uh, remained silent about the events. Let's start by addressing that. So, tell me, is a vegan in the UK or in the US? or even just an environmental activist, why should they care about what is happening in Gaza right now? I mean, I love your lead into that question, Leila, because you're basically kind of saying, uh, you know, something that I would say, which is like, vegans are always talking about, you should care, right? You should care about injustice to others. You should take action when there is injustice being committed against others. And they're asking for an action that is quite a dramatic lifestyle change. To go vegan is a really big change. And yet that is something that they are in a way demanding of people because why? Because it is the right thing to do. So it's like mind boggling that this question keeps coming up in the vegan community because, you know, when I first became vegan, I really thought, Wow, these people know <laughs> how it works that when you see injustice in the world, what do you do? You don't just sit by silent. You do something. You take action. You change your own life and you work to change others to do what's right, to have, you know, others be treated in the right way and their rights respected and their liberation and all the rest of it. So it's like stunning that of all the communities to be asking this question, well, why should we care about what's going on in Gaza? It's stunning that it would be the vegan community. And of course, there are vegans that do care very, very much. But for the ones who don't or who are taking that attitude, it's like, we of all people should understand violence begets violence. You know, the violence that we do to other humans then is reflected onto other animals. And the violence that we do to other animals then is reflected onto other humans. And it's just like, do we want to be a movement that actually stands for ending violence, ending systems of domination, ending systems of oppression? Do we, do we not? I mean, it's just like, it's, it's stunning to me that anyone would look at the people of Gaza and need any, any even explanation for why they should care. It's like, where is your empathy? You are vegans. You know, don't you have empathy? Because if you do, how do you turn that off? If you really have empathy for non-human animals, how do you then turn that off when you see humans suffering? You know, it's like if you have empathy, real empathy, that's going to be on all the time. And when you see pain and you see suffering and you see injustice, you're going to have a response to that naturally. So to me, it's like if you're asking that question, it's almost like, are you really even having empathy for other animals? I know that's kind of a controversial thing to, to say in the vegan movement, but it's like you wouldn't be able to just turn that off when you see other suffering. And of course, you could just turn away from the other suffering because you have the luxury of doing that. You live in another part of the world, just like people can compartmentalize. Oh, I don't have to see the slaughterhouse. I don't have to see the suffering of the individual who ended up on my plate or on my coat. But I also have to say, do you think that what's happening in Gaza is not affecting the non-human animals? Because they are also, you know, embodied beings that when you drop a bomb, when you drop a white phosphorus bomb, which is what they're using there, that burns whoever it hits alive. And there is no way to put out that burning. I mean, it's like an, like acid. The humans are suffering. The non-human animals are suffering. The ecology is suffering. All living beings are suffering in Gaza. So this idea of an artificial line between them, oh, those beings matter, but those ones don't. And we care about this one, but we don't care about that one. It makes no sense from any sort of real, deep empathy position. Yeah, I agree. And it's good actually to compare, like, because the same thing we're actually criticizing non-vegans, like kind of, oh, if you could see slaughterhouses. Or kind of, you know, cognitive dissonance because you're not actually thinking about, you know, you love your dog, but you eat pig or cow or beef or whatever. 
we say all of these things, but when it comes to humans, we are doing the same thing. It's happening somewhere else. If you are talking about us wanting a vegan world, you know, it's not just in the West that we want people to stop harming animals. And you're right, you know, all those vegans who are actually advocating for you know, stopping the fireworks and all that. You know, a bomb is going to be much louder, causing more impact, negative impact on the animals who are actually there. And I have seen images, and it's in those cats and dogs, and you know, there's shortage of food, there's shortage of water. If you're compassionate, you're compassionate all the time. Now, many people, especially Palestinians, they are comparing what is happening right now in Gaza to Nakba. And I know not everybody is familiar with that term. They don't know what is it. What is actually Nakba? Can you explain that? So, you know, what happened was that when the Zionist state of Israel was formed, so Zionism, for people who are not familiar with that term, was the movement that came from the European Jews who uh, wanted to get out of Europe and they wanted to go to Palestine. And political Zionism, idea of not just emigrating to Palestine, but building a nation state for the Jews in Palestine. That was the Zionist movement. You know, they wanted to build this new nation state. Of course, the Palestinians, like any people, uh, did not want, you know, some other people coming in and building a new nation state on their land that they had been living on for thousands of years. And I do want to address before I get into the Nakba, this question of, well, but, you know, wasn't it uh, Jewish land originally or weren't there Jews always living there? Well, there were Jews living there for thousands of years before the creation of the state of Israel, but those Jews were living in Palestine. They were Palestinian Jews. So they were living alongside Palestinian Muslims and Palestinian Christians. They were all Palestinians, three different religions, but they were all Palestinians. Creating the nation state of Israel was a whole different thing, and that was uh, Jews coming from Europe. And so what happened was the um, Zionist Jews had been pushing for the creation of this nation state. And for a long time, they were not able to create it. Um, the British were controlling Palestine. And before that, uh, the Turks were controlling Palestine. And, you know, it got to the stage where they actually started committing acts of terrorism um, through the organization, the Irgun, to force the British to uh, let them do this. So the British turned it over to the UN and said, you know, figure something out. <laughs> we don't want to be, you know, terrorized by the, uh, the Zionists. The UN said, um, okay, we're going to split that land fairly down the middle, although they slightly were giving more of that land to the Zionists than to the Palestinians whose land it was, had always been. And so they gave 52% of that land for this new nation state of Israel. And 48% of that land was going to go to the Palestinians for them to have their own nation state. And of course, the Palestinians obviously did not want to be like, oh, okay, you know, we're just going to have to crowd into that 48%. We're going to have to leave our homes we're going to have to pick up and leave because these, you know, invader colonizers are coming in. And so they did not want to leave. You know, what happened was that the Zionists, once they had that from the UN, they started going around and violently clearing out all of that land. You know, they would go from like village to village and they would, in some cases, slaughter entire villages. One in particular, very infamous case uh, is the village called Der Yassin. They slaughtered like everyone in that village. And then what they did was, was really horrifying. They would take the bodies of people from that village and they would drive around to the surrounding villages with those bodies and hold them up and say, if you don't get out, this is going to be you next. Leave or die. And then the other thing that they would do is they would put it on the radio because that was the main form of mass communications in those days. So they'd blast it all over the radio waves 
this is what happened to Darius scene. This is what happened will happen to you next if you don't leave. 700,000 Palestinians left. They just packed up their bags and left. But what happened was that surrounding Arab countries were saying, well, you know, we're not going to let this happen to you. We will attack Israel and get you your land back. And this is all going to blow over in a few weeks. So just leave, you know, temporarily go stay with someone. And then a few weeks, this will all be over and you can come back. And as we know, that is not how things worked out. They, uh, Israel ended up, you know, pouncing everyone else and they took over even more land after that. So that it ended up being um, 78% of that land now is Israel proper and only 22% is the Israeli occupied and controlled Palestinian territories. And um, all those people that left could never get back in to their own country. They are, in, in many cases, still living in refugee camps. You know, as you mentioned, I've been to that part of the world. I was in Egypt. I was in Jordan. There were Palestinians living in those surrounding countries that have been in refugee camps since 1948. You've got refugee camps also within what is the, what are the occupied, you know, Israeli occupied and controlled Palestinian territories. They're living in refugee camps in their own homeland. That is the Nakba. And the Nakba is Arabic for catastrophe. And it was the catastrophe of the Zionists coming in and ethnically cleansing that land and taking it over and colonizing it. And this was, of course, the central origin tragedy of the creation of the Israeli state on Palestinian land. That is uh, what they are doing now with Gaza, isn't it? Asking him to evacuate. Yes. What basically seems to be happening is that they are trying to take over the rest of that land. And we first have been seeing that in the West Bank. You know, for people who don't know, the Palestinian West Bank is occupied all the time permanently by the Israeli military and also by these Israeli settlers. And the settlers live in apartheid settlements. They are Jews-only settlements. And I say Jews only and Israelis only because, first of all, there are Israelis who are not Jewish, you know, that have Israeli citizenship. And also you have Jewish people that are coming from other parts of the world who are not from Israel that are moving into those settlements. There's these apartheid structures, and then you have the military there taking over more land, bulldozing Palestinian houses, kicking people out, in some cases just taking over the existing homes and moving Jewish people into the homes. Palestinians have to leave. That's their bad luck. They just have to find something else. They're not compensated. It's not with their consent. You know, they don't even have any warning in a lot of cases. They leave for work or school. They come home. They have no house. So this has been the most aggressive year for land takeovers in the Palestinian West Bank Israelis, taking more land there, and also East Jerusalem. And Gaza, on the other hand, there are no Israelis living in Gaza and, you know, normally no Israeli um, military within Gaza, but they're surrounding Gaza everywhere. But, you know, what seems to be happening with Gaza is that they are trying to take that land back. They are committing total genocide in Gaza, number one. It's, uh, you know, I mean, they're just slaughtering indiscriminately. They're hitting every type of bomb. They're bombing every type of building imaginable. They're telling people to go to certain locations and then bombing those locations. They're really just, it seems, trying to wipe the population out. And then they're also at the same time pushing Egypt to open the border and let the Gazans into Egypt. And certainly, you know, that sounds like that would be better than what Gazans are going through right now on a humanitarian level. But Egypt is saying, if we do that, all those Gazans will come in here. Israel will slam that door and that'll be the end of, and now those Palestinians from Gaza are in the same position that their ancestors were where they got kicked out and they can never come back. Which is why the Palestinians always say, you know, oh, you know, right of return. Where is our right of return? You know, because there's this idea of the Jewish right of return for people who've never even been to that part of the world just on the basis of being Jewish. And this idea of an ancestral claim to that land, Palestinians, on the other hand, are like, 
I was born there. I grew up there. It's my homeland and I can't return. So that's why they're saying this is like a new Nakba. And I think you touched on that. It has been going on for years, you know, for decades, really. Because a lot of people go back and last Saturday, you know, when it all started. No, it has been going on for a very long time. People are not aware of it, but people who actually, you know, are organized around Palestine, they know it. They know it's nothing new, but it's just the way it is happening now. It is more aggressive. And it seems like they are not stopping. Of course, we condemn what Hamas did. But it didn't start after that attack. What they are trying to sell the public, isn't it? And also you touch on the fact that, and I have heard that argument. So, you know, why doesn't Egypt actually just open the borders and the Palestinians just move to Egypt? And I'm just, if your neighbor says, you know what, I want to have an extension. Can you just move out because I want to have an extension? Yeah. Exactly. I know that's such a great metaphor. Uh, could you just move out? Because I want to like, build an extension on my house. I could take part of your house, maybe, and you know, we'll just like section it off, and that'll be my extension. Yeah, exactly. We need to think about all these things rather than just say, "Yes, that sounds like a good argument." No, it's not. And I have had actually a few arguments. Uh, one of the arguments, you know, from vegans who are silent is they say it's a complex issue, and they are not experts. I'm just thinking this narrative is so unhelpful because it's not really a complex issue. And so can you just talk about how actually saying, making it into a complex issue and saying, oh, we are not experts to talk about it. Why is it actually causing harm and why is it not helping to end what is happening? I mean, the complex issue argument is typically framed in this way of you know, this is complex because it's two groups that are fighting each other and they've been fighting each other for thousands of years, right? This is the false narrative. Also something religion, religion, right? Oh, they're fighting over religion. And, you know, I don't want to get involved in that. That's all sectarian violence. This is basically kind of, you know, what people are perceiving it to be or dishonestly in some cases framing it to be you know maybe in some cases they know better but they know that this narrative serves an agenda of obscuring the reality you know the details might be complicated but the actual you know just basic framework of what is going on there is very straightforward really there is an oppressor and there is an oppressed there is a colonizer and there is a colonized. Basically, you have Israel. Israel is the one with all of the wealth, all of the power. Israel is being backed by the United States and NATO. It's backed by the West. It's armed by the West. I mean, you know, people say, well, the U.S. supports Israel. And they don't realize what that means. They don't mean that, you know, the US, we support Israel in our hearts, right? They're talking about giving them weapons to use to oppress the Palestinians. And of course, the question, why do they need to oppress the Palestinians? Well, they need to oppress the Palestinians because they have taken their land and built this, not just Jewish state, but Jewish supremacist state, I mean, written into law that only Jews have full rights. So even, you know, you've got Palestinians who live within the state of Israel that have Israeli citizenship, but they don't even have full rights of citizenship. You have a literal apartheid state here. And then you've got the people, the Palestinians in the Israeli occupied and controlled territories, and they have no rights. They have no rights under Israeli law at all. So they are subject to Israeli military occupation and rule and control. Israel controls every aspect of their lives. I mean, this is like, it could not be a more clear-cut case of oppressor and oppressed, colonizer and colonized, apartheid. Actually, some of the leaders of the anti-apartheid movement in South Africa they traveled to the occupied, Israeli-occupied and controlled Palestinian territories in 2012. And uh, they didn't really know what they were going to see there. At the time, 
the term apartheid had started being applied to that situation, believe it or not, by Jimmy Carter. These South African anti-apartheid struggle leaders went there and they looked at what they saw and they were like, not only is this clearly apartheid, but this is actually way worse than anything we experienced. This makes what happened in South Africa look mild by comparison. The situation in 2012 was nowhere near as bad for the Palestinians as it is today. So if those South Africans went today, they would be even more horrified. This is not complicated on that level. There is a very clear victim in this situation, and there is a very clear oppressor. If you understand that this involves indigenous land theft and colonization and apartheid and racism and oppressor versus oppressed, and that the reason why the Israelis need to do all these things is to keep down the Palestinians so that they can have continue to have control of that land and have their Jewish supremacist state, then you will understand the basic foundation of what's going on there. Stand in solidarity with Palestine this Sunday. With the most devastating attack ever launched on the people of Gaza, it's time for all of us to stand in solidarity with the Palestinian people. Israel has waged war on the Palestinians for the last 75 years. The Nakba, ethnic cleansing, occupation of the West Bank, East Jerusalem and Gaza. Israel has now imposed a total blockade on Gaza and declared war, stopping food, electricity and fuel and launching an all-out attack. We have to mobilise to show our support for Palestine. 12pm, State Library, this Sunday. Rally to demand freedom and justice for Palestine. No war on Gaza. Free Palestine Melbourne is a 3CR supporter. Because the Palestinian fight isn't just the Palestinians' fight, it's all our fight, because it's a fight not just about land, it's about a fight for freedom. Everybody should be standing here today saying, Free Palestine. Solidarity with our Palestinian brothers and sisters on behalf of the Bumbanja Nation, my people who've never ceded their sovereignty. We should be recognising Palestine as a state and recognising the rights of Palestinians. 3CR, stay tuned, stay radical. Welcome back to Freedom of Species on 3CR Community Radio. You're listening to an interview between Layla Degon and Laura Schleifer. And yeah, we're going to go straight back into that interview and yeah, play the rest of the interview focused around, um, yeah, continue a discussion around the issue, but also how you can support Palestine. No, I think, you know, again, going back to vegans, because that is actually our audience, isn't it? Vegans talk about, have an opinion about climate change and the food system. How comes that, you know, when it comes to this issue, suddenly it is complex and they want to be an expert before they speak about it. You know, when it comes to food, diet, everybody has an opinion. Nobody is asking an expert, but here only experts should talk about it. Another argument I have heard on social media is people say, you know, they don't want to take sides. They stand for humanity, they stand for peace, and if they share what is happening in Gaza right now, then they would be taking sides. So they want to do that because they are just for peace. Why is this statement actually causing more harm? Can you elaborate? Yeah, I think the phrase, no justice, no peace, pretty much sums it up. I think a lot of people that hear that phrase, they don't realize what exactly it's really saying, but what it's saying is, When you have a situation like I just described, where you've got an oppressor, a colonizer, and they are keeping another population down, and they're using, of course, military occupation, and they're using brutality. It's like, and and they're continuing to steal more land and force the people, the indigenous people of that land, to live under that. There's never going to be peace. You know, it's like, you start to think, well, what kind of peace are you talking about? Rest in peace for the oppressed? Like, oh, there'll be peace when there's the final, you know, silencing. Real peace comes from people living together as equals. So 
you're never going to have peace in a situation like that. It's that old saying, Desmond Tutu. And he had that saying about if an elephant is standing on a mouse's tail and you say, well, I'm neutral, the mouse is not going to appreciate that. You know, when you have that kind of injustice happening, you're taking a side with your silence and you're taking the side of the more powerful, of the oppressor. There is no neutrality in a situation like that. It is such a lopsided, imbalanced situation that silence means you're aiding the oppressor. So you either speak out in support of the oppressed and you expose what's going on there, or you're by default taking the side of the oppressor and making their job easier to continue to oppress the other. Because silence actually really helps the, the more powerful, isn't it? The, more, uh, the, the voice that is more dominant. Obviously, we have said that you know, what is happening, we refer to it as a genocide. And this is not the first genocide in you know, human history. And there are actually, in the 90s, we had the Bosnian genocide in Srebrenica, and then the Rwandan genocide, which was also in the 90s, and then the genocide in Darfur in, uh, in the early 2000s. And even now in China, actually, right now, as we are speaking, Uyghurs. But the, what is happening in Gaza is very different. For one, we are actually receiving a lot of live footage of the events as they are happening. And despite all these images, other countries are not taking action. In fact, no other genocide has received so much support from international leaders. And there are also a lot of ordinary people who are supporting these killings despite the videos and images. So, you know, they have seen what is happening and they are still actually supporting Israel. I'm, I'm just wondering, these reactions we are seeing, what does it say actually about us, you know, about humanity? These uh, collective responses, what impact is it going to have on our future? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting that you're, you're asking, what does this say about humanity that, so many of us can watch this type of atrocity rolling out in front of our eyes in real time and still side with the ones carrying out that slaughter or just kind of saying, I don't want to get involved. This doesn't involve me, blah, blah, blah. I think that, you know, on the one hand, I would make a distinction between those that have some kind of an investment in what is going on over there versus those who don't. Because, you know, obviously you have people that have investment in the way of emotional investment of connections. Let's say, you know, you have people that have connections to Palestinians or connection, let's say, just the commonality of being um, Arab or Muslim. And then, of course, you've got Jewish people that have connections over there. And maybe they have, you know, family over there or they just are invested in the idea of a Jewish state. And the more invested that they are in the idea of a Jewish state, the more they're going to compartmentalize. They're going to rationalize and they're going to, you know, use uh, what they call in uh, psychology, ego defense mechanism, right? They're going to find ways, justify or minimize what Israel is doing to the Palestinians. And then you also have people with financial investments. And, uh, you know, you have people that have investments in companies uh, that are profiting off of occupation and war and weapons and fossil fuels, which is a big part of this, even though that specific land is still you know, um, a U.S. you know proxy in the Middle East, where there's all these oil-rich countries around, proxy military, military base. So, you know, I mean, you've got like a lot of those sorts of interests and investments that will, again, make those people say, oh, we have to stand with Israel, we have to stand with Israel, because they know that their bank accounts are involved. And then you've also got the Christian Zionists very invested in what's going on as well on the side of we have to support Israel, because they see that as the holy land where Jesus is going to return, and they don't want those Muslims getting control of it. They want like Jews that much either, but they think that Jews are, you know, Jesus was a Jew and it's it's Judeo-Christianity. So they feel like they would rather have that in the hands of the Jews than in the hands of Muslims. You've got all that side of things where people are actually invested in one way or another. And then, of course, you've got other people that 
are just kind of disconnecting, right? And they just don't want to pay attention. I don't know. I don't understand. That doesn't involve me. You know, for those people, we really have to look at the psychology of racism and xenophobia and Islamophobia. And obviously there's racism across the board. Obviously anyone that is looking at that for any reason and thinking that that is justifiable or not something that we would be, should be doing everything we can to stop. That's racism, racism, racism. There's obviously, I mean, we talk about this a lot in the vegan uh, movement, at least the total liberationist or intersectional or whatever you want to say side of the movement of how animalization, for example, plays a really big role in dehumanization, in devaluing certain populations, in making them seem like that their lives are worth less, that they are inherently barbaric and savage, like animals. And, you know, we see that language going around again, right? We see the Israeli politicians and military generals we're dealing with human animals. Those people are animals. So again, it's like this language of genocide that uses animalization as a tool of that because, of course, it's all rooted in our perceptions of non-human animals. Oh, non-human animals, uh, their lives are not worth as much. They don't have morality. You have to contain and control them. They're inherently violent. You know, all of these associations that our movement is working to undo you know, when it comes to actual non-human animals, but that are then weaponized against certain groups of people to make those people seem less sympathetic, less like we can identify with them, and ultimately that we care about them less and that we actually think that it is necessary and needed to contain and control and dominate and subjugate them and cage them, literally in this case. You know, you've got Gaza is operating as a giant, what Amnesty International refers to as the world's biggest concentration camp. You know, you've got Israeli military surrounding Gaza, so they can't get in or out. They can't export or import. You know, you've got caging also of Palestinians, including Palestinian children, very significantly in the Israeli-occupied Palestinian West Bank, where you have Israeli soldiers, in some cases, coming in the middle of the night and uh, knocking on Palestinian home doors and taking young children, sometimes toddlers, and putting them in Israeli jails. So, you know, all of this is, is rationalized through this idea of these people are animals. You know, they have to be contained. They have to be controlled. They're inherently violent. They're brutal. They're savages. And we're hearing all of this racist colonialist standard, you know, straight out of the colonialist playbook language going around. So, you know, and these concepts of, oh, you know, Islam is, an, is a violent religion and all of this serves to make it seem as if it's okay when it's done to them. A lot of the things you were saying is against exactly what we vegans are trying to advocate for, you know, non-human animals. I really, truly believe that it is actually putting our movement back by staying silent because noise Absolutely. That, you know, what we mean when we say we are a compassionate movement. And now is the problem. We are failing. We are failing as simple as that. But there are a few people who want to help Palestinians. So what can they do? I know you have your own organization, but I don't know. There isn't even any aid getting into Gaza at the moment. It's been very complicated <laughs> getting aid into Gaza. First of all, it's very difficult to begin with. Even under normal, big quotes around normal, because there's nothing normal about this situation at all. But even, you know, under more typical circumstances, it's very difficult to get aid into Gaza. And the reason why, of course, is because, as I mentioned before, is Israel has been maintaining this blockade on Gaza for 17 years. What that means in real terms is that the Israeli military all the time controls the parameters of Gaza, including even the water, and um, the Gazans cannot enter or exit their own land. They can't import or export. Everything is just completely sealed off. It's really difficult to get aid in, you know, even in general, but it's even harder right now 
because of everything that's going on. And, you know, they've tightened those restrictions even more. We have had a fundraiser for Plant the Land. I'm working on seeing how I can get the money into Gaza. And for those who don't know, Plant the Land is a vegan food justice and food sovereignty and community projects team in Gaza. So I started Plant the Land with my co-founder, Anas. So Anas is Gazan. He is a local person. And the whole team of volunteers, they are all local Gazan people. I am the only one that is not from Gaza. So they were already, you know, doing a lot of work to just help their community to get what they needed. And I saw that and I, you know, highly respected it. You know, a lot of people from Gaza already were starving, even before this bombing campaign, because Israel was controlling the whole economy there and also what could get in and out. They were contacting me online and they were saying, you know, we need help. And I was seeing a lot of food justice initiatives happening in the vegan movement where they were connecting veganism and vegan food with people who needed food. And I was like, maybe we could do this in Gaza. So I contacted Anas, you know, who's already doing all this aid work. And I said, you know, how would you feel about doing a vegan food fundraiser? At that time, it was for Ramadan, which is the big Muslim holiday. He loved the idea. Turns out randomly, he was vegetarian. So he was very open to it and thrilled. And I felt that this was a really great way to make it possible for vegans to provide direct aid and food to Gaza that needed it and do it in a way that was in alignment with their ethics. So that's Plant the Land team. And it's called Plant the Land because they actually literally have been planting food as well. You know, the whole idea behind that was food sovereignty as well of, you know, longer term food and not being, not having Israel control that. Now, of course, Israel now has destroyed so much of the work that they have done to an incomprehensible level. And so I don't know what the future of plant land is going to be. But right now, Anas is still trying to continue to help people. You know, a lot of people are crowded into small spaces. 1.1 million homes, last I heard, were destroyed. That was days ago, so there would be even more destroyed now. And this is a population of 2 million people. So you have hardly any housing that is left standing in Gaza. You know, of course, there's going to need to be eventually, if and when this stops, if the Palestinians even are still there, there's going to need to be a lot of reconstruction. There are other organizations that are actually managing to get aid directly into Gaza right now. And I would definitely say that, you know, it would be great to donate to them. Jewish Voice for Peace is a really wonderful organization worth supporting in every way. Um, So this is Jewish people who stand in solidarity with Palestinians who oppose Zionism as Jews. They work on a lot of different aspects of this issue. Right now, they are doing direct aid, but they also work very hard on helping the boycott, divestment, and sanctions movement. And that is extremely important for vegans to learn about because I find that there's a lot of confusion in the vegan movement about the boycott, divestment, and sanctions movement. And I'm really glad, Layla, that you've given me this chance to have a platform to kind of clarify this because, you know, it's really important that uh, vegans understand. So the boycott, divestment, and sanctions movement is a movement that was started um, by a Palestinian man named Omar Barghouti, who was inspired to create this movement based on the strategy that was used by the South African anti-apartheid activists. The way the strategy works is that it's using targeted economic boycott, divestment, and sanctions strategy to put international pressure on Israel to make them withdraw out of the Palestinian territories of Gaza, the West Bank, and East Jerusalem, which, as I mentioned earlier, is only 22% of what used to be Palestine. But even those little areas of that 22%, the Israelis have been occupying and controlling since 1967. 
the boycott, divestment, and sanctions movement is a global campaign. So Palestinians are saying to everybody all over the world, please, if you support us, participate in this boycott of apartheid Israel. What the campaign involves is, number one, boycotting Israeli products or products that are profiting off of the Israeli occupation and control of the Palestinian territories and oppression of Palestinians. There is a website called uh, www.bdsmovement.net, and that has a list of all the companies that they are asking you to boycott. If you want to know companies that come from Israel, you can look at the barcode and it's the number 729 at the start. And then you know that it's coming from Israel. But they're not just Israeli companies. You know, you have companies here, for example, a really big one for vegans, because we love our hummus, is uh, Sabra and Tribe Hummus Brands. These are two of the most evil companies. If I remember rightly, Tribe supports the Israeli Golani Brigade of the Israeli military. Maybe it's Sabra. I'm always getting mixed up. But one of them supports that. And when I say support, I mean financially. The other one is funding some of these Israeli apartheid settlements in the West Bank in Hebron. And Hebron is actually where some of the most really violent, aggressive uh, settlers live. Because many times the settlers, um, you know, they come there from other parts of the world because they believe it is their land by divine right. And they come in a very aggressive, armed way to terrorize them until they leave. You've got like a lot of companies. You've got McDonald's right now. They just gave out, I think it was a thousand free meals to the Israeli military. So you've got these specific companies that are really profiting off of the occupation. And so it's very important to boycott them. Divestment, divest your stocks from any company that is Israeli or profiting off of this uh, Israeli occupation. And then you have sanctions. And sanctions is really meant to be that eventually people pressure their governments to put sanctions on Israel. You know, with the South African apartheid movement, sanctions ended up being a big part of it. It got to the stage where you even had countries all over the world saying, South African airlines, you cannot land your planes in our airports. So it reached that level. But of course, this is really hard in this case to have. At this stage, we're just, you know, saying to our Western governments, Stop arming them, for God's sake. It's so much worse than even that they do business with Israel. They're literally arming Israel. But a really important part of it as well for vegans specifically to understand is that there's also an academic boycott and public boycott, entertainment industry, etc. What that means is that Palestinians are saying, please do not have public figures go to Israel and make public appearances where they talk about things like, oh, I don't know, veganism, for example, because that makes it look like Israel is this nice, free, you know, progressive country that cares about animals and blah, blah, blah. And it provides cover. It legitimizes Israel and it legitimizes what they're doing to the Palestinians. We have had a lot of public figures in the vegan movement go and speak in Israel. For example, there was the Vibe Israel tour where you had big YouTubers that went to Israel. They got a fully expense paid trip by the Israeli government. And, you know, it was to promote Israel as a vegan nation. What I thought was really interesting about it was that even many vegans that considered themselves to be pro-Palestinian couldn't see the problem with this because they said, well, look at all the terrible things that the U.S. does, for example. The U.S. is a terrible human rights abuser, but we don't tell vegans not to go to the U.S. and speak in the U.S. So why should we tell them to do that to Israel? Are we just anti-Semitic here? Is that what the double standard is? And if you don't understand that this is an organized boycott, it does look like that. It makes sense that they would say that. But the reason why it's different is because it's an organized, targeted boycott. So it's almost like you're breaking, like you're crossing a strike line. It's not just that it's ethically wrong to go to Israel. It's that it's an organized boycott. And when you do those things, you sabotage the efforts of that boycott. You sabotage its ability to actually be effective. 
So that's a really important thing that I want vegans to understand. And there's actually a subdivision of BDS that has come out because Israel has been portraying itself as a vegan nation and pushing that line of propaganda. It's called Vegans for BDS. And that is specifically focusing on vegan products and vegan celebrities and, you know, really looking at this through a vegan lens. And I mean, you know, you've had Joey Carbstrom go there and you've had Earthling go there and uh, James Aspie, of course, Gary Yurofsky. But, you know, when they go there and they, you know, make these public appearances and blah, 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 that's all harming, directly harming the Palestinians. So definitely get involved with BDS. Get involved with vegans for BDS specifically. Support organizations like Jewish Voice for Peace. Support Al Auda, which is an Arab organization that is supporting Palestine. You can read media that is focused on this issue that really exposes the truth. The Electronic Intifada that is run by Ali Abu Nima. You can look at 972 Magazine, which is leftist Israeli publication that is very, you know, anti-Zionist. You have the Palestinian Chronicle. You have Mondo Weiss, which is um, Jewish American. So these are some resources. You know, one of the most important things is just helping to get the word out about this because there is still so much ignorance surrounding this issue and just really taking the time to learn about this issue yourself, to try and learn about and understand this issue so you can then communicate to other people. You know, you can find me on Facebook. Ask me any question you want. I know that Palestinians have been asking us just to share, just to share at the moment, just raise awareness. Thank you so much. That was really helpful. I'm going to add all the links you mentioned. Thank you. Tune in to Health Sovereignty, 3CR's International Day of People with Disability broadcast on 3rd of December, 7am to 7pm. We're talking about what health, well-being and body sovereignty mean for multiply marginalised disabled people, their kin and communities living on unceded Indigenous lands with programming by disabled broadcasters from the 3CR and broader community. Visit 3cr.org.au forward slash disability day 2023. Hope everyone got something out of that interview and I'm really happy to be continuing this coverage of this really important issue on the show, which we've done a lot lately. So check out some of the other recent shows for more on the um, on the issue and also how it's connected to animal rights as well. And this, this interview that I brought you on the show today is replayed from YouTube, again, with permission from the creators. And you can check out that video. We'll put a link to it in the show notes. You can also uh, subscribe to Layla Degon's YouTube channel as well from that link too. And we'll put all um, a bunch of the other links, which um, Laura mentioned as well in, in the show notes for this episode. We are part of the iRaw podcast network. So if you'd like to hear more podcasts about animals, you can check that out at iRaw.com. So I, the little I, then raw like a lion, pod.com. Our show airs one to two every Sunday, and you can check out old episodes via 3cr.org.au forward slash freedom of species, as well as searching us on your favorite podcast app. And yeah, you heard recently um, the community service announcement for the um, Disability Day broadcast. So that is happening um, Sunday, 3rd of December from 7am till 7pm on 3CR. So you can listen to that via 855am or via 3CR .org.au um, online from anywhere. Um, so I really encourage listeners to check that out. And a reminder, because of that special broadcast, we won't be doing a Freedom of Species show next week. Uh, but yeah, again, really encourage our listeners to check that out. And we'll be back the following week, Sunday the 10th of December, back to normal Freedom of Species programming. We're going to finish up with the song Long Live Palestine 3 uh, by Loki with a bunch of guest artists, uh, musicians and speakers, etc. Um, on Palestine, he's got a lot of music, pro-Palestine music. Check out his music. And if you want to hear more music, if you're listening live, stay tuned for rotations coming up next. 
And I'm just going to go out with a quote um, from a Palestinian activist um, making a connection with animals. So this is Gazan poet, journalist and peace activist, Ahmed Abu Atima. And so I'll finish with this quote. As I watched the birds fly over the border I could not cross, I found myself thinking how much smarter birds and animals are than people. They harmonise with nature instead of erecting walls. As you prepare your breakfast, think of others. Do not forget to feed the pigeons. As you wage your wars, think of others. Do not forget those who fight for peace. As you pay your water bill, think of others, those who are nursed by clouds. As you return home, to your home, think of others. Do not forget the people of the camps. As you sleep and count the stars, think of others, those who have nowhere to sleep. As you liberate yourself with metaphors, think of others, those who have lost the right to speak. As you think of others far away, think of yourself and say, If only I were a candle in the night. This is for Palestine of course, the capital Jerusalem Unarmed people marching to the wall when they're shooting them Suppression is a question, resistance is the answer Long live Palestine, long live Gaza Palestine of course, the capital Jerusalem Unarmed people marching to the wall when they're shooting them Suppression is a question, resistance is the answer Long live Palestine, long live Gaza All you see is war every time you turn your head and Bloodshed on the floor Mother cries, who cries for her this time Truth between these walls See the lies between the lines They hide where the bullets coming from From the tyrants dressed in our disguise I'm gonna ride until the end Even if I get a pushback for all my friends Cause you know that I'm a fighter Let me see a lighter And we not gonna stop the Palestine is free But still you know that I'm a rider till the end Even if I got a pushback for all my friends Cause you know that I'm a fighter Let me see a lighter And we not gonna stop the Palestine is free Talk to not love, talk to be blind, talk to not care Tell me what's real, borderlines, military despair How to exist if there's no rights to be human in fear And if you take away your home, where's the heart supposed to live? Talk to not love, talk to be blind, talk to not care Tell me what's real, borderlines, military despair How to exist if there's no rights to be human in fear And if you take away your home, where's the heart supposed to live? Uthorea could resist without a wheelchair Ten year challenge, tell Rick if we are still here And tell that killer Netanyahu he should feel fear The old live through us and guarantee the children will care Criminal, not invincible and you know it Samadun, Samadun still sitting in their stoic May not feel us with you when you listen to our poems You inspire humanity, your resistance is heroic Regardless of talk, here's time we answer the call Through your strength of spirit you provide example for all How to live, how to love when attacked from the clouds above Loud and clear the songs you sung Can't be drowned by the sound of guns Or just watch your tragic time Through a satellite dish The least that we can give you Is an anthem like this They panic, try to analyse And sanitise this But we love you more than ever Still, Palestine lives Circling of the people of Gaza, the killing of civilians, the burning of homes, the daily oppression, the theft of land, the apartheid system in the West Bank where there are two road systems, and I've been and I'm sure you have, and you see the, the, the Israeli road, you see like a, 
and spanking new highway with just the settler cars going backwards and forwards. Then you see the old Palestinian roads. And it's clearly, it's, it's people living under two sets of laws. It's an apartheid system. So all this is being uncovered. And the boycotts and divestment and sanctions campaign, which I support and I'm sure many other people do, as a peaceful protest against the Israeli oppression. Support groups have got to keep proclaiming the rights of the Palestinians are the right to return, the right to um, the right to their homeland, really. And um, and the theft of land is Israel is breaking international law. It is breaking the Geneva Convention. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.